All right, well, welcome to the second week of the Wisdom for Dissidents class. Last week, last week we talked a little bit about how when we want to sacrifice, we should be willing to sacrifice everything. Um, if you go back and listen to the Sunday School class, um, we, we talked a little bit about that. You know, would we be willing to, you know, even, even, sacri- like even put all of our work here at, in Summersworth on the line? And that's something, I, you know, that's something that, that really strikes me is what do we hold back? I came across this qu- quote yesterday in a movie. And it, maybe Dad can, maybe he'll know where it comes from. We are prepared to lose some of us, but we are never prepared to lose all of us. You don't know what that's from? Gettysburg. That was Robert E. Lee in the movie Gettysburg. And he was taught, and one of the things that really struck me about that was uh, Pickett's Charge. I always wondered why, why he did Pickett, why he gave that order to send those men across that field. It's one of the biggest military blunders ever. But he was prepared to put it all on the line. Right. It was. It seems to be certainly an arrogant uh, decision that was made. Um, but but anyway, that one line struck me with what we were talking about: being willing to put it all on the line. We are prepared to lose some of us. We are never prepared to lose all of us. Um, that said, I'm going to read from the book of James, and then we're going to get started at the subject at hand after uh, prayer. So, James 1, and I'm starting at verse 6. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for, the la- for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. But the rich, in that he is made low, because of the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun no sooner riseth with burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof faileth, and the grass of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord had promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted, and when he is drawn away from his own, of his own lust, and enticed, then 
what lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin and sin. When it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is variable is no variableness, excuse me, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will beget he, excuse me, of his own will beget he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind first kind of first fruits of his creatures. God's word. That's bound prayer. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to uh, look into the book of James. And I thank you again for this uh, book by Jeff Myers and his wisdom. Uh, please help me to uh, expound some of his wisdom. And, uh, and uh, please gift our discussion this day. And I pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. So a little, quick little review of last week. Um, anybody who did not get this course outline... Uh, Please let me know. I can get you one. I didn't bring them today, but we do have copies. Um, right now, we're on January 22nd, so we're going over chapters 1 and 2. Uh, we're continuing those. And today, we're going to talk about the dating authorship and structure. Um, but a real quick review. Remember my awesome transitions. I just wanted to look at this slide again because um, I, I forgot to make a pretty important point, and that was the main point right up here, it says, our institutions see prayer and worship as a weapon. Why don't we? You know, and, and, this, and once again, this was the point of the woman who was praying out in front of the abortion clinic and she was arrested. Why was she arrested? Well, they see prayer as a weapon. This pastor was uh, laicized. Why was he laicized? Because, you, because our institutions know that prayer is a weapon. So why don't we? Moving on. So, so we know that our primary weapons are covenant, renewal, worship, prayer, worship, and song. The battleground is everywhere, including our churches, our homes, and the public square. And I wanted to share this video with you. This is something I came across on YouTube. Uh, and I'm sharing this with you to show you the great hope that we have in, uh, in, in Christ. And how when we're faithful to Christ... We can conquer the world. If it plays. There we go. So this is how Christianity spread. And you can see we're only in a very small area there. Spreading across Europe. Yeah, we lost. Yeah, we lost some ground there when with the Muslims. Yeah. And you can see that it's there. There's a while on this slide. There's, it seems like nothing's moving. You know, where are the people of the Lord now? We're losing ground.
Uh, what's happening there? <laughs> okay, so now we have to turn and look at the whole globe. Christianity spread across the whole globe. Gaining some territory in Africa there. Well, that whole side's almost all purple. So I came across that this week, and I wanted to share that with you, because sometimes I think we can be focused on the negative. We can be focused on all the bad things that are happening, uh, you know, in our country and the, and the politics of society. Um, but we have great hope in our Savior. We're not, we're not going to lose this war. So uh, we went over this last week, but uh, this is getting into the subject that we're going over today. Why is authorship important? Well, understanding biblical hermeneutics is, is the primary battleground in our greater church culture. Hermeneutics is the branch of theology that deals with proper interpretation of the text, including authorship. And I've got a couple of other terms here that I'd like to discuss because I've seen a lot of this in our culture, and we need to understand what we're doing. What we're trying to do here is exegesis. That's to read the meaning out of Scripture. It includes the context, and uh, it, we seek to find uh, Scripture's original intent. A lot of what's done these days is what they call eisegesis. Am I saying that term right, eisegesis? And with eisegesis, we're putting the meaning into the text. Um, so, so context doesn't seem very important with eisegesis, and the meaning comes from within myself, and, and it's forced into Scripture. Is, is that a correct definition? Sometimes I have these definitions. I'm like, ah, I really want to make sure I'm saying the right thing. Um, so one example of this that I saw, you know, I, I, I do a lot of time curating uh, content on YouTube and, and seeing, just trying to see what's going on out there in the world. And there was, there was a pastor, and he was arguing for, uh, for the LGBT community. And he said, he pulled out this uh, Bible and he said, look at this. Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. Well, there you go. There you go. There you have it. He wants Lazarus to come out. And, and, and that was his argument for LGBT. That one, he didn't even use a full scripture verse. Lazarus, come out. See? So, yes. <laughs> yes, that's the, that, that's the point. And the, and the YouTube commentator who was, who was it, it was a reaction video. He was watching this and he said, he was, he said, okay, so first of all, we, we need to learn to read, like, whole chapters here. <laughs> we can't, can't just Lazarus come out and enforce our own interpretation onto Scripture. But that's a lot of what we're, we're seeing within, uh, within the larger church culture right now. Does anybody have any comments on that or thoughts? Mm. It's an existential approach. It's actually, there are some that actually teach that. 
Bob? But you don't ever see them taking the parts of Scripture where it says stone them and putting people to death. Well, we, we could have a... We we could have a long discussion about uh, how that's that's been misinterpreted. Yeah, I I could probably have I could probably enter into a long conversation about uh, about what their arguments are and and whatnot. I've 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 like like I said I curate a lot of content just to see what's out there in the greater Christian world. Uh, I spend a lot of my free time free time doing that. Um, <laughs> Well, yeah, and so, so that's that's a lot of what we're facing, and, and what we're trying to do do, and we and so we, we should just be aware of of these two terms, exegesis and eisegesis. Uh, we don't want to be in, we don't want to be putting our own meaning on scripture. We want to know what God intended, and and here is uh, believers. We believe we believe here in this church that this is the word of God. It's been protected through the ages so that we could get God's message. That's what we believe. Um, and, and if we believe that, then we should be trying to understand what God's original intent was. And that's a lot of what uh, Jeff Myers is doing in this book. Um, and he's got a different look at the book of James as we started to discuss last week. Um, and I think this is the last slide from last week. Uh, when Jeff approached this epistle of James, it was often seen as a book of proverbial wisdom, but Jeff uh, started looking at it a bit differently after hearing Peter Lightheart argue that James the Apostle as the author. And uh, one thing I want to be clear on, Jeff isn't, uh, he, he, he's, not, he's not like willing to go to the stake for this. He does even say in the book, it could be James the Just, as is often insinuated. For him, it just makes more sense to read it as James the Apostle, and I'll explain some of the reasons why. Um, but this puts the epistle of James in the context of the early Christian diaspora. And we remember what the, what the root of diaspora is here. Um, as I pointed out last week, it comes out in, Jeff, Jeff never said this in the book that I remember, but he said it comes to, to sow or scatter seeds. Um, and, and, and that's what, uh, one of the points that I think Josiah was making last week is, um, you know, the, the world, the, like there's a void out there, but the void is a, uh, it's a field that's ripe for planting. Um, so, and here's where we'll probably have some, uh, well, I, over these next couple of slides, we'll probably have some more discussion here. Um, some of the arguments for authorship is that, the James is a pseudonym. Uh, James was a pretty prominent name in the early Christian church. There are many Jameses, as we'll go over in a bit. But it's often thought to be a pseudonym, pseudonym to lend it credence. Um, and I, I, Jeff Myers doesn't see any reason to believe that. I don't see any reason to believe that. Um, the most common uh, belief is that it's James the Just, the brother of Jesus. He was a very prominent leader of the early church of Jerusalem. Um, and the argument here is uh, over, over it being James the Apostle was it, it, was, it would have been later. Um, one of the reasons that they believe that it would have been later authorship is be, because, uh, be, because the 
Gal the area of Galilee wouldn't have been Hellenized enough to have some of the uh, wisdom, some of the great writing that's in the book of James. Um, but Jeff Myers argues that there's really no reason to believe that because the, the uh, Jewish people were people of the book. They were very literate. Um, they were very studied. And uh, the, the, wisdom, the wisdom that we have in the book of James echoes the Sermon on the Mount, which James the Apostle would have been at the Sermon on the Mount. Um, James, James the Apostle is most likely, I should have put most likely there, most likely a first leader of the Church of Jerusalem. Um, Myers argues that he speaks to the subject matter in the context. Most scholars say that the dating would be too early. Um, as he was martyred in Acts, in Acts 12, which would have been around AD 44, he was beheaded by Herod. And I'll get into which Herod in a little bit. Any th thoughts or discussion about any of that? Comments? I just, I really, like you say, like you mentioned, so it's really important to, I mean, like, it's important, let's, let's say, this way. Uh, so, for the author, and it's, I'm wondering, I don't know we we can find the truth, but just like wondering why uh, many years, you know, like Catholic and uh, Orthodox and before the 11th century, so they believe it was uh, after what the James, you know, brother of Jesus, and now we change. Just like, just like, because I don't, I, it doesn't right. mean like they was right. It's just like, I just like wondering why we. What? Right. So, so the the best I can offer on that, and I don't know if there's anybody here who can offer more on that, but the the best I can offer on that is they they mostly thought that um that that because of the the wisdom of James, because of because of how well written the document is, that it would have had to have been for, from a more uh more Hellenized and more scholarly uh person so that would have and, and it would have and so they think it would have been at a, a later date um, when because it was it was a while later that uh, the area of Galilee was was more Hellenized and, I, and I, I've actually been looking a lot into in, into this uh, especially with the book and, and trying to find out more information on this but um, the best I can come up with is is everybody wants it to be at that later date because because it's uh, such a well-written document. Um, I don't know if anybody has any more to add on to any of that. Um, but one of the things I want to be clear about um, is, is Jeff does say in the book that if it, even if it is James the Just, that doesn't ruin the uh, content of wisdom for dissidents. You know, it, they could have still been going uh, through through uh, quite a bit of persecution. Um, so, why James the Apostle? <laughs> um, James the, uh, Jeff Myers cites Galatians 2.9, saying James was a pillar of the church. He cites Acts 12, 2-3. Um, the way that James' death pleased the Jew... Uh, the way that James's death Please the Jews, lends credence to James being a prominent leader in the Church of Jerusalem. The Jews were happy about his death, so he would have been a prominent leader. Um, the, 
in John 16, 3, Jesus says that uh, the Spirit will guide the apostles in truth. In Luke 1, 2, we know that Jesus is the Word. In Acts 6, 4, the disciples um, are, are said to be ministers of the Word. James identifies himself as James, the servant of Jesus, the Word. Um, and the epistle seems to be before the whole debate of faith and works, and, and that, that, seems, that seems to be a big point that uh, Jeff, Jeff leaned into, um, and, and we'll, we'll look at that more later when we get there. Um, but the epistle seems to be before the whole faith and works debate that Paul tackles. Uh, it was before that came to the forefront. Any? Okay. So... Just a couple things on why he doesn't think it's James the Just. Um, an earlier date explains the immediate needs that are addressed. Um, and, and that's one thing that you find in the epistles is, is there's a sense of immediacy on, on them. He, we, we use them for a, a lot of wisdom. Uh, we, we use them for a lot of, uh, you know, we, we expand upon them. But if we, but there is a context there. We can see that there are, there, there, addressing an immediate need. Paul even, uh, in one of his letters, uh, I remember uh, Pastor Harold went over it, or Pastor Kupfel went over it a, a few weeks ago, that he addressed two people directly who were, were causing a problem. He actually used their names. And he, he was like, hey, knock this off, you know? Um, so the, the book of James is in the long book. It could have been, it could have been uh, written fairly quick, quickly, especially by especially by uh, Jew Jewish people who were, once again, people of the book. Um, James the Just is, uh, had a flourishing community, um, and the needs addressed in the epistles wouldn't have been as immediate. So, um, so, so this would put it back at being a book of uh, wisdom sayings for... For a lot of people, the, um, James the Just, James the Just wasn't uh, dealing with the, the immediate persecution that the, that the early that the earlier church with James the Apostle was dealing with. With James the Apostle, if if we look at this as written by James the Apostle, who are we looking? What time are we looking at this in the Bible? What's the biblical context? It would have been. Uh, it would have been. Shortly after the crucifixion, shortly after the persecution of Stephen. So it, one of the one of the uh, interesting things I was listening to, uh, uh, Jim Dujak, his he he did a series on this called Sons of Thunder, this same book, and he was he was using Jeff Meyer's Wisdom for Dissidents, and and if you have the chance, maybe I'll put the link up next week, but yeah, and those those are pretty amazing to listen to. Jim Dujak is just a fiery preacher. <laughs> Even even in the Sunday school class, I was listening to him, and I was like, "Man, I wish, I wish I had that gifting." But he he was making the point that that it would have been the Apostle Paul possibly doing this to to uh, to, to the peop people uh, when they wrote the letter uh, when 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 he wrote the uh, book of James. They would have that was, that's who would have been persecuting them. So it's just just an interesting thing to think of. And when looking at this as wisdom for dissidents. I thought that was pretty prudent to think of it as the Apostle Paul because because 
the Apostle Paul ended up bending his knee to Jesus, the person who was persecuting them. So if we look at the book of James as wisdom for dissidents, and we see that it was the Apostle Paul persecuting them, well, we have a full story there. You know, he, he, we, we won. We won that battle. Any, any thoughts on any of that? Am I going too fast? <laughs> Sometimes I hear myself talking, I'm like, man, he's saying a lot of words. <laughs> um, okay. Whoa. Did I go? Nope. Okay. We're on the right one. Keeping your hair straight, and this is something... <laughs> This is something I had to go. I had to go through. I I thought it'd be helpful for you guys. We, uh, we're gonna we're gonna keep our hair straight because it's hard to keep the hair straight. Um, they they were kind of a broken family, if you will. They were they were the people who were put over uh, the you know the Jews, and they were kind of a broken family. They um, were Edomites. They were they were Edomites, but they were they were uh like a, a mixed family but they were they, they wouldn't have uh you wouldn't have wanted to go to their house for a christmas celebration let's just say that they didn't get along very well so they're they're a messed up family um herod or herod the first or herod the great he's the one who ordered all the infants to be slain shortly after that as as we know uh that herod died then we had uh herod antipas and he stole his brother, Herod II's wife. And, and I don't think, I'm not sure if Herod II was ever a ruler. It was kind of a divided, it was kind of a divided kingdom. So when he stole his brother's wife, there was a big war. Um, and, and uh, you know, Herod Antipas was the one who won. Um, John the Baptist confronted him about stealing his brother's wife. And, and, uh, John and John the Baptist was beheaded. Um, and we remember that whole story. He was also the one who mocked Jesus and sent him back to Pontius Pilate. Herod Agrippa the first. Um, he was the, he was an early persecuted uh, persecutor of the church, and he was the one who beheaded uh, James the Apostle. Herod Agrippa the second. It was the one who held audience with the Apostle Paul. So those are all the and and in the Bible we, we you know in the in the Bible oftentimes I you know oh we got this Herod we got that Herod it's always confusing for me so I thought this tool would be very helpful for all of you. <laughs> okay, good. Are they some of those brothers or? Yeah, Herod Herod and Herod II here. They were brothers. That was the whole problem there. Um, it it seems it seems to me that Herod. I'm not sure if it was a name or a title. I can't I can't really speak to that. I tend to think it was a title. Um, just just because, well, just because of this. You know, two brothers walking around with the same name. It's a little weird. So you're saying it's a title like Pharaoh or Caesar? Yeah, yeah. That that I mean, that's what I tend to think. Um, I. Couldn't find much on that. I didn't look in, much into that either. Um, but yeah. 
Yes. Yes. Right. Um, but but anyway, it's interesting. It's interesting that they're uh, Edomite, Edomites. Um, so that that makes their lineage uh, all the way back to Esau. And earlier this week, I was reading about how uh, you know Esau would break his yoke, the, the yoke of Israel, off of his neck, and and they they're the uh, chief persecutor of the Israelites um, for for most of their history. Um, in fact, one thing I found recently is the 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 grandson of uh Esau was Amalek that's the Amalekites and if you if you look into Jewish tradition any any enemy that rises up is considered is considered an Amalekite they they even claim that the Nazis were Amalekites um and and if, so if you look into the history of the Amalekites um they were supposed to be destroyed Saul, king Saul didn't destroy them he left one of them alive, and then uh, you have the Book of Esther, where what was what was that gentleman's name? Haman. Haman, and he was an Agagite, and the king the king that was left behind that Saul didn't kill was King Agag. He was slain by Elijah, but you, there, when he's called an, Agag, uh, an Agagite, you see that relationship to the Amalekites. Sit. Did, did that? What did I say? He was no Samuel. That's correct. I'm sorry. Talking too fast, faster than my mind can move. <laughs> All right, and I I made this slide because I thought this would be helpful too. Um, keeping your James's straight. James the apostle. The, uh, that was James the Great, son of Zebedee, brother of John, and most likely the author of of the Epistle of James, uh, according to this book. Um, James the Just, the brother of Jesus, he's mentioned quite a bit in Acts. Uh, you, you know, you, after, the, after the death of James the Apostle, you see them mention James quite a bit, and that's uh, referring to James the Just, James the brother of Jesus. Um, so he's mentioned quite a bit in Acts, and once in Galatians, after the death of James the Apostle, um, then there's James, the son of Alphaeus, who's called James the Less. I don't know if they called him that to his face, um, but he was James the Less or James the Minor in a lot of church traditions. And some traditions say that he, this is the same as the brother of Jesus. Um, and, and, but James, James, the son of Alphaeus, was also one of the apostles. So there were two apostles named James. And that would have been uh, James, the son of Zebedee, and James, the son of Alphaeus. Any questions or thoughts on any of that? Um, one very interesting thing, and it's uh, what we're going to get into on the next slide. Oh, once again, I overplanned. Uh, James can be translated as Jacob. It's the same name. It's a, uh, it's a Greek version. J uh, James is a Greek version of Jacob. Um, according to the to the book, and I, I think I think I googled that quite a bit, and I found it to be the same. So, the structure of James, and I'm going to try to get through all of this real quick. It's this this first one is a little bit a lot to digest. This comes from uh, Steve Jeffries, and um, Jeff Myers. Jeff Myers said uh, it's. 
it's a little tenuous, but uh, but he, but he thought it's a good way to look at uh, scripture. So it comes from Steve Jeffrey. He he's been here before, correct? Um, it comes from Steve Jeffrey, and it's it's pretty insightful. It's pretty amazing that he was able to read scripture in this way. But he he actually had a twelve tribes structure to the book of James. So looking at the introduction, you you see James as Jacob, you know, the same name. So he's James to the 12 tribes. And this is what Steve Jeffrey was able to do. And so if you go to Genesis 49, there's a uh, chapter where, where Jacob is blessing all of his sons, all of the 12 tribes. And he <clears throat> speaks to all of them, and he speaks to all of their character. And I should open my book for this. I'm going to try to go through this quickly. Um, but I have it all written down here for you to see it there. So, in James 49, 3 and 4, um, Reuben is unstable as water, the firstborn, the preeminent one, one who is one who has lost his position through unfaithfulness. James calls out, in the book of James, the one who doubts being, who doubts, being like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed about. That's in James 1, 6. Reuben is the first fruits of Jacob's strength, uh, Genesis 49, 3. And the nascent uh, apostolic church is a kind of first fruits, James 1, 18. Simeon and Levi, uh, going across the screen. Simeon and Levi, um, in Genesis 49, those are the angry, violent brothers who use the covenant to take personal revenge. You, we all remember that story about how they went and slew all those people in revenge for their sister Dinah. Um, J- James warns that the anger of a man doesn't bring about God's justice, James one twenty. Judah, uh, Genesis 49, 8-12, is the brother who held the ruler's staff and so was a prince and lawgiver. James commends to his hearers the mature law, the law of liberty, James one twenty five. He calls the Lord Jesus Messiah as witness against their partiality, 2, 1-7, and reminds them that they are heirs of the kingdom, and are therefore bound to obey the royal law. James two eight through fourteen. It has been suggested that Judas that the Judas section extends through two through two verse sixteen. But this seems tenuous. Perhaps James James's admonition to care for the poor and needy relates to the royal duty of serving and caring for, uh, for his people. Um, as we continue to go along, uh, and, and you guys have the book, you know, and I'm sorry if I'm rushing this, we just want to get through the structure today, um, but you guys have the book, we see the, we see the, uh, connection made between Zebulun in Genesis 49, 13, uh, James, in, in James 3 and 4, Issachar, Genesis 49, 14 through 15, James 3, 13 through 18. Dan, Genesis 49, 16 through 18, and James 4, 1 and 2. Gad, Genesis 49, 19, James 4, 13, 17. And on and on and on. Uh, I definitely recommend you take a look at that section. Um, it's, it's on pages uh, 20 and 21, and it's just very, very, very interesting um, that all the connections are there. Now, once again, Jeff Myers says, 
seems a little tenuous. But it's, it seems like what Steve, Steve Jeffrey has done here has really fit. Couple of quick thought questions. Um, why would this structure be relevant to James as an apostolic epistle? Any thoughts on that? No? It's just so. So what we have here is, and and this was my thought on it. What we have here is a new Israel. This this is a new Israel, and they're being sent sent forth out into the world. Um, one thing that really struck me about about all of this was Joe's course before with the Book of Jonah, and the big problem that the big problem that the Israelites had was they weren't doing their missional work. Well, now this. Now we have a new Israel, and they're being they're being commissioned out into new work. Um, and the other the other question I have, and this is just something I wonder, is would the early church have seen those connections in the Book of James? Um, next, I, I think I'm going to close it down now. Next week we're going to we're going to go over the chiastic structures. There's two uh, chiastic structures that uh, Jeff Myers uh, put put forward for us, um, and I would recommend everybody read uh, chapter three. Chapter three is a uh, it's a short little story, and I would I would if you have time uh, start getting into chapter four because chapter four is when we really start getting into the meat of the book of James. Um, you know, right right now we're dealing a lot with a lot of uh, structure and authorship, and I think it was important that we went over it all. And I'll be happy to take more questions on that or have more discussion on that next week. But I, I really think right now we should just um, close the class and we'll go over the chiastic structures next week. Okay, so if everybody's ready, uh, does anybody have any last questions at this time? Nope, okay, well, let's all... Okay. Okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Let's bow our heads. Our Heavenly Father, I uh, thank you for, the, for this opportunity that we have to um, work through your word together and, uh, find, and discover what your true intent was. I pray that you would bless that effort, and I pray that you would... Um, bless all that are here. Please be with us as we go into covenant renewal worship to, uh, to make war in your name. And I pray all this in your name. Amen.